Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. The title of my message today is Formed in You. Formed in You. And I'm going to start with reading out Galatians 4.19. It says, my little children, this is Paul writing this letter, he says, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I mean, the, the New Living Translation says, I'm going through labor pains for you again. In other words, there is this travailing in prayer that Paul is going through, but he has one goal, one aim. Not just God that you would bless them, not just God forgive them, But his aim and his goal for the believers is that Christ would be formed in them. You see, the hope of God for every believer is the formation of Christ-likeness. That is the evidence of our salvation. Amen? That we become more and more like Jesus Christ, like our Lord. Romans 8, 28 to 29, another couple of verses we're quite familiar with. We like Romans... 8.28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And we like that word word because it, it means that what I'm going through right now, somehow God will turn this to good. And generally, our thinking is that He will somehow change the circumstances outside that they'll become beneficial for me. But if we read the next verse, we start to actually understand what Paul is really saying in this verse. He says, for whom he foreknew, say, that's me. Let's try that again. That's me. He knew beforehand that you would be here and that he would be his. He also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. You see, all the things that are going on in your life, God does want to use them for good. But the good that he primarily wants to see is how as you grow and endure and follow the leading of his spirit through the things that you are going through, you become more and more like him. What could be better than becoming more like Jesus? What could be better? Well, maybe winning the lottery, I don't know, whatever your priorities are. Maybe getting that thing you want, maybe resolution in that relationship. The highest pinnacle of the hope of every true believer that longs to see Jesus glorified is to become more and more like Him. Now, I want to talk to you about a story that we see taking place in the book of Acts chapter 3. Just to give you some context, the day of Pentecost had happened, that's Acts chapter 2. About 3,000 souls were added to the church that day, and there's this movement beginning to happen. There's rumblings happening in the city. And so we come into chapter 3, and Peter and John are making their way to the temple at the time of prayer. And on their way, they see a lame man sitting outside the gate called Beautiful, and he's asking for alms. And they said to him, as you know the story, we don't have silver, we don't have gold, but as what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he rose up and he went leaping and walking and praising God. And as this is now happening, and he's causing quite a commotion, he's drawing a lot of attention to himself, he's making a lot of noise. And people recognize this man, because 
they see him every day when they're coming into and going out of the temple. They know who this man is, but now he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. And so they draw around and Peter and John begin to talk to them and Peter begins to preach. And the message that he preaches is about how these, you all, you know, uh, delivered Jesus up to be crucified and you trained, uh, traded him for, for Barabbas and he's, he's rebuking them and again people are getting saved and the priests and the Sadducees are not happy about the situation. And so they do what the Bible called is they lay hands on them. They didn't put their hands gently and pray for them. No, they laid hands on them and they took them captive and they put them in jail for the night. And so we have this wonderful miracle, but yet immediately following, there's this backlash and there's tremendous persecution. So the following day, they bring Peter and James out. They've convened a special meeting and the priests are there and the scribes are there and the Pharisees are there. And the chief priest is there. I mean, this is the hoi polloi. This is as high as it gets. And they now need to answer for this thing that they have done. And they're basically saying, let me read to you what they say. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 4, and I'll start from verse 5. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, the elders, the scribes, as well as Anas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So we can see a formidable crew here. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which the builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there any salvation, or nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And so there is this incredible statement that Peter makes, and he is not mincing his words here. He is pointing fingers. He is taking names. He is, as we like to call it, speaking truth to power. And he is defending the actions that have just taken place. But it's the next verse that I really want to focus on this morning. Acts 4.13 says this, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. And that, to me, is an incredible statement. You see, so much of their power lay in intimidation. They brought them into a thing, and they were going to intimidate them, manipulate them, scare them, you know, use their power. Do you know what we can do to you? But these men, though they were uneducated, they were not intimidated. They stood up. They spoke very boldly. But the statement that is made, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There was something in them that was different. There was something in them that made them stand out. And it was clear, it was recognizable, the scripture says that it was clear that they had been with Jesus. 
I want to say to you folks that this is, to me, such a beautiful example of what Jesus can do with an ordinary life. Sometimes we think, oh no, it's, it's guys with degrees, or guys who've gone through seminary, or guys who have special gifting from God. We're talking here about a fisherman, and, a, and uh, what, Peter and John, and John, both. Fishermen. Fishermen. They had mouths like sailors before this. They were not trained professionals. But with having spent time with Jesus, and under the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit, something happened. And there is something that happens in us when you and I have been with Jesus. We change. There is clear evidence. Something begins to happen. You know, that doesn't necessarily mean reading your Bible that we've met with Jesus. In some sense, we have. But there are those moments where our hearts connect with the Lord's heart in humility, in submission, and in reverence, where we begin to see and get a taste of our true self in the presence of the glory of His true self. And we are undone. Something in us begins to shift. That hard-heartedness begins to melt and to crumble. That resolve that insists on me doing things my way and wanting to get what I want begins to melt away. And we are willing to begin yielding to another influence, to the influence of His Spirit. We begin to change when we come into contact regularly with the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I have learned in leading praise and worship that although I can behold what you are doing externally, some people lift their hands, some people clap their hands, some people stand like this. I can behold what's going on internally, but I can't, uh, externally, but I can't behold what's going on internally. Do you agree with me? It's a simple point. But the Bible says that when we become a new creation, when this new creation work of Jesus is happening, and by the way, it is a work that happens once in terms of being made a new creation, but it's a progressive work as well. We don't, we're not the finished article the moment we get born again. We have the soul that needs sanctification, that needs changing, that we still need to grow in. But this word behold is a loaded word because it means that there is clear evidence that something is happening in this person's life. Something is changing. And sometimes that change can be slow. Sometimes it's instantaneous. You've all heard stories. Pastor Andreas recently shared his story and his testimony of how he met with God and everything changed. He still had a lot to work out, but there was a significant change in his life that happened very quickly. A lot of people, they come to Jesus Christ and addictions fall off them. Things they've been struggling with for years suddenly are no longer an issue. That's not my testimony. My testimony is one of slow growth. And when when you're around your kids, for example, and and they're growing, you don't really notice it. But you go and visit a relative that you haven't seen in a year, and they go, oh, my, how you've grown. Because there's, now there's a stark difference. And I'll never forget the night where a friend of ours, who knew me many years before I, I truly got born again, and now we came into contact again, and she asked me the question, Michael, what changed you? Because there was something different now. 
there was something that had happened. Now, please, I, I, I still do not profess to be this, the finished article. There's still a lot of work to do. But something begins to happen in our lives when we are consistently meeting Jesus. Now, let me ask you this. If it is possible to see, we looked at James, Peter and John, they were bold because they had been with Jesus. They were convict they, they stood with strong conviction, unwavering because they had been with Jesus. We could see evidence of that. As we grow, and we've just given some examples, there's evidence that people have been with Jesus. There's a change that happens. Now let me ask you a question. As I was pondering through this, if it is evident that people have been with Jesus, is it possible to tell when we haven't? Now, I think generally when we think of this, we'd think, yeah, look, people that haven't been with Jesus, they probably, that's the liars, you know, those are people who are angry, they're people who are ashamed, they're people who are dealing with issues, they, maybe they're violent, they're addicted to pornography or stuck in sexual immorality, they're deceitful. You know, we think of all these people, surely they haven't spent time with Jesus, right? But I realized as I kept thinking through this that while that may be true, once we have journeyed with Jesus for a while, once there has been some change, it is so common and it's so prevalent for us to kind of get stuck in our rut of doing the things we know to do. And yes, there has been change to a point, but then stagnation begins to set in. We begin to settle. We got forgiven, we got healed, our needs were met, and then in this place, of God's blessing and favor, we got comfortable and we stopped growing. You see, while the attributes I mentioned may all ring true to those who've never met Jesus, there's another attribute that rings true of many who've been saved for a while, and that is the state of complacency. Let me explain to you what complacency is. A couple of definitions. First of all, it's a feeling of calm satisfaction with your own abilities or situation that prevents you from trying harder. I'm saved. God loves me. God has blessed me. My needs are met. I am satisfied. What do I need to pray for? I mean, I know God loves me. I should pray. I know I should pray. I know I should read the Word. But, you know, I'm doing okay. Complacency is also a feeling of being satisfied with how things are and not wanting to try and make them any better. And what complacency leads you and I to is apathy, so we don't do anything about it, and timidity. We become very timid in our Christian faith because there is not within us any longer a passionate conviction of God's love to the point where it is driving us to the lost around us. It is causing us to see those who are not saved, who do not know Jesus, and have our hearts break for them. We're saved. We're okay. But what about others? And this is the complete opposite of what we see in Peter and John. You see, the remarkable thing about their account was their boldness. How many of you struggle with boldness in talking about and dealing with spiritual things? How many of you struggle with lying? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Many are stuck in a place of timidity. But I want to say to you, getting away just from boldness in doing things out there, boldness in sharing the gospel, many of us who have been in the Lord for many, many years, we get stuck in a place of timidity where we are not even bold enough to want to confront the truth about ourselves and our situations. Why? Because that truth is going to shake our complacency. That truth is going to show us what we know all along to be true, but what we are making excuses to cover up and not deal with. We lack the boldness to face the truth. We don't want to acknowledge or even deal with our condition. We don't, because that's uncomfortable territory, right? That takes us out of this comfort zone that we have worked so hard to build, not to be inconvenienced, not to have to feel like there's anything still needs to be worked on. We become self-satisfied, and as a result, we may remain trapped in behavior patterns, in thinking patterns that keep us locked in a place of limited fruitfulness, if any. The Bible talks about a repentance that has fruit worthy of repentance. Repentance, once again, is this changing. It's a changing of direction. It's a changing of the way I think, which changes the perspective from which I live my life. Or perhaps even better, the perspective for which I live my life. And this is the kind of change that happens in the presence of Jesus when I bring my heart and my life to Him. Do you know why this is so important? Because neither you or I have what it takes to bring ourselves out of a place of complacency. It requires something more. We talk about spiritual fire, spiritual passion, a passion that comes from God. If it comes from God, can you muster it up? Can you talk yourself into it? Can you do a whole bunch of rituals to make it come? What was the simplicity of that phrase spoken about Peter and John? People could see that they had been with Jesus. And folks, that is the element that makes all the difference. The only one who can make us more like Christ is Christ himself. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You know, the more time you spend with someone the more you become like them. Now, I don't think I'm ever going to get a nice tan or have dark hair. So we're not talking here about outward appearance. But I know and understand a lot of how my wife thinks. And she certainly knows and understands a lot about how I... She knows more about how I think than I do sometimes. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we rub off on each other. You know, my wife can be standing on the other side of the room and she'll give me a look and I know exactly what she means. I could write you a thesis on what she means. Generally, it's because I'm in trouble. <laughs> Why? Because I know her intimately. There's a verse in the Bible that says, with mine eye, I will guide you. 
where the Spirit of the Lord, or God says that, I want to know you so well that just with a look, you're going to know exactly what I want. You're going to know exactly what I'm thinking so that you can respond to that and walk with that and be in that. Romans 12, we're familiar with these verses, 1 and 2. It says this, I beseech you, brethren. And this is, again, we see Paul. And this word beseech is a big word. It's a word begging. He says, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, this isn't about going over and above the, light, the, the call of duty here. In response to everything that Jesus has done for you and I, the most rational response is simply to present your body. To show up. Can you say show up? Have any of you ever been stood up for a meeting? You've been gone to the coffee shop and you're sitting and you're waiting at the table? I'm not talking about a blind date here. I'm just talking about a meeting that just never comes. Someone says, I will be there at this and this time, and they never arrive. You know, God waits for you and I every morning. He waits. He longs to meet with us, to fellowship with us, to talk to us, to share His heart and His love with us. And all He really needs from you and I is to show up, is to be there and allow Him to speak to us through His Word and through prayer. But let's look what verse 2 says. It says, do not be conformed to this world. In other words, don't be like them. Don't think like them. Don't act like this world. Don't rely on the same value system as this world. But be transformed through the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. God wants you to prove Him right. Did you get that? God wants you and I to apply His Word in such a way so that He can prove. You see, we want to prove to the world out there that we can do something, and we want others to see and, and, and what we can do. God wants to prove to us who He is because He is always faithful to His Word. And His desire is that as we walk in His Word, as we learn how to be more like Jesus, how to respond to situations and people like Jesus would, how to walk in an attitude of gratitude, how to treat people with love and respect and to value them, that as we begin to do these things and we begin to look more and more like Jesus, He will begin to prove the power of His Word, not only in our lives but through our lives. Because what will happen? We will begin having an impact. That light that shines in our hearts will begin to shine through us. We, as we begin to change, so we begin to change the world around us and the circumstances around us. The simple thing is, all of this begins not by a checklist of things that we need to do for God, not by a whole list of people that we need to pray for, not by a whole barrage of offerings that we need to give. All of this begins in the simplicity of coming and being in the presence of Jesus. Learning to hear his voice. Pastor Andreas gave such a beautiful analogy the other day. Paul, if you were, you travel from time to time for work, and if you're in a foreign country and the hotel phone rings and you pick up the phone, and it's Laverne on the other end, 
Would you know that it's her? Would she have to announce who it is? How would you know that it's her? How do you know her voice? That she, she. <laughs> you recognize a voice that you are used to hearing. It's a simple analogy, folks. But so many people, Christians, well-meaning Christians, are going through life doing the best they can. They're, 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 they're kind of satisfied with the fact that they're saved. Things are going well financially. They got their needs met. And suddenly something happens. Suddenly something comes into their life and they're being shaken. They get retrenched. Uh, something happens in a, in a close family relationship. And now suddenly I need to hear from God. And now there's a lot of effort that needs to go into this. Now we need to pray. Now we need to fast. Now how am I going to hear from God? How am I going to discern if it's God's voice or me? You know, one of the most common questions is, how do I know if it's God speaking to me or me speaking to me or the devil speaking to me? These kind of questions are all evident of those who have not been spending time with Jesus because unable to recognize the voice, unable to be simply and easily led by him. You see, when we show up Daily before God, we allow the breath of God to flow into us and through us. Folks, let us not forget that this is the very thing that made Adam, a lump of sand, come to life. The breath of God. He showed up. It wasn't even his choice. <laughs> he was just there. And God breathed on him. Folks, you need to understand, Jesus has no desire to harp on your sin. This generally is the one thing that keeps us from coming to God. We feel guilty, we feel ashamed, we know we haven't spent enough time with Him already, now we're going to come and the first thing He's going to say is, where were you? What have you been doing? Jesus has no desire to harp on your sin. He dealt with that. He wants to forgive you from your sin, and He wants to bring you and I into an expression of His love, of His life, and of His nature that is transforming. Colossians 3, 1 to 2. If then you were raised with Christ, he says, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. That is all God is asking of you and I. Come and set your heart and your mind on me, on the things that are above this carnal natural world. Why? Because if you set your mind habitually on the things of this world, you become subject to the things of this world. But if you set your mind habitually on the things of heaven where God is, you and I become subject to that realm, to that kingdom, that omnipotence, to that power, to that level of grace, to that wisdom which is far above the wisdom of this world. I find the more I'm exposed to the news, the more I'm exposed to what's going on, the more concerned I am about my future financial well-being and the safety of this and my children and, and all of these things. Why? Because I'm focused on what's going on here. I also become limited to what I am able to do. So based on everything that's going on around me, what can I, what do I have to do? What's my response in this situation? And generally, when we move from this place, we're moving from a place of ignorance because we don't know the bigger picture a lack of wisdom, and fear. We're trying to, in our complacency, preserve our little comfort, preserve our future, 
not wanting to take any risks, so that we, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on, can be safe, and yet we're subject to all these ways of thinking. Whereas Jesus says to you, if you do that, then you are going to be like everybody else. But I am calling you out to be different. I want to teach you a new way of living. I want to teach you a value system and a set of principles that supersede the ways of this world. You have heard it said, this and this and this, but I say to you. How often did Jesus say that to people? And who was he talking to? He was talking to religious people. People who thought they knew God, but yet had grown very comfortable in their state. They were the chosen nation. They were Israel. There was promises and covenants. Surely, you know, we're okay here. And Jesus is saying, I don't know, you've heard these things said, but I say to you. And there are things going on in your life. There are worries and anxieties that you are dealing with right now that you don't really have the answers to. And you're worried about this thing and how is that going to turn out and what do I need to do here? And maybe that needs to shift there. And Jesus, I believe, will say to you this morning, yes, you've heard what the news has said and you've heard these predictions and you've heard those reports. But I say to you, when you and I get a hold of what it is that God is saying, we do, we do not need to muster up faith to try and believe it. Because deep down in our hearts, we know that God is true. And when He speaks, things happen. The problem is, <laughs> we're not hearing. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places because we are united with Christ. There is a blessing that belongs to you and I. And again, if we simply think of blessing as having my material needs met, me, 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 what I can get, without being changed in the process, we miss the point completely. Folks, you need to understand something. God loves you as you are, but He wants to change you. He wants to make you like Jesus. Not for His sake, for your sake. He wants us to come into that kind of victorious life the same kind of life that Jesus lived. Now this heavenly place I've been talking about, that's uncomfortable to our flesh. Because it's outside of our way of thinking. It's outside of the culture we're exposed to. So, so we have to kind of go out on a limb here and choose because it's a binary decision. Am I going to do what God says? Am I going to follow on, to, or follow on with what He is saying to me in this time and season? Or am I going to continue doing what I know to do, preserving my comfort, preserving my status quo, and maybe trying to do whatever I can to, to benefit myself? But the truth is, and this is the truth that I was talking about earlier on, that we don't want to have to confront, that we don't want to have to deal with, the truth is that we do not grow in a place of comfort. Did you get that? We do not grow in a place of comfort. But yet that's where we all strive to be. That's what we all seek to, to do, isn't it? We want to make ourselves comfortable. I think the Lord wants to make us a little more uncomfortable. I've heard it said many times, God is more committed to the development of our character than He is to the provision of our pleasure. And it's true. 
Perhaps we're in a place where before we are going to make a difference in anybody else's life, we are going to have to let Jesus make a difference in ours. We are going to have to finally come to that place where I say, Lord Jesus, I've got to acknowledge the truth. I have been avoiding change in this area. And most likely you know what area that is. Maybe it's in the area, you know what? (laughs) We could list any number of options. But I'm willing to wager that 99% of us here today would say that area is that time spent with Jesus. Listening to His voice and allowing Him to speak into my life and situation. I've been making excuses. I'm so busy. Do you know how late I went to bed? Do you know how early I have to get up? Do you know how many demands there are on my time and on my life? All of these reasons. Let me close out with a verse from John and a couple more comments. John 8, 31 and 32 says this. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, before the truth sets us free, it's going to make us uncomfortable. But if we're here this morning, are we willing to be honest with God and say, hey God, this is stinging a little because I realize that complacency has set in. One of the primary hallmarks of complacency is we become so self, self-focused. Our own comfort, our own pleasure, our own needs. Our prayer times are full, whatever prayer times we have, they're filled with prayers of God, please bless me, sort out this situation. It's, there's not this desire to truly lay hold of Jesus, hear what he has to say, and allow him to bring change in those areas of your heart that know, you know need dealing with. Jesus is the one who fills us with the boldness we need to break free from the lies and the limitations that the enemy and our ignorance have trapped us in. And so my, my prayer this morning, in having heard what I've said today, is that certain realizations will take place and certain heart decisions will happen this morning to bring us into that place where Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, where he calls us, 633 I think it is, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and to set ourselves apart from worrying about all those other things that we're so consumed with, but to come and to be in the presence of him who makes all the difference. So that whether it be a breakthrough that produces amazing change or whether it be a season of steady growth in your life, that people will begin to look and say, there's something different about you. Have you been with Jesus? Maybe they won't even know what that means. Maybe they'll just say, you're getting weird. Maybe they'll say, I see a difference in you. And when we begin to present present ourselves and show up, that is when God can begin to work. And that is what I believe the Lord would say to us this morning. We've been on a journey for quite a while of talking about reaching out, talking about sharing the gospel for others. But if this is not a natural part of our everyday life, it's telling. It tells us something about the true state of our hearts. 
And maybe this is the true thing. Maybe this is the root that we need to begin dealing with. Is to stop making excuses. You know what an excuse is? An excuse is simply a lie that you tell yourself to make yourself feel better about not doing what you know you should have done. Maybe it's time we stop giving excuses. We allow ourselves to stand and spend that time in the presence of Jesus that he may speak into our hearts. Would you stand with me? We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.